In last week's episode, I mentioned how we often are unknowingly still holding on to things that we've released. And my conclusion was that even as we shift into higher levels of authenticity and awareness, I believe that there could possibly be remnants from areas where we might feel wounded. I use the analogy of taking boulders, big heavy things that we hold on to, turning them into rocks so they aren't as heavy. Eventually those rocks become pebbles and the pebbles become sand. As we progress in our own awareness and become more authentic, the challenges we face feel less and less burdensome. That's the whole point of the analogy. This morning, I had the ultimate experience of exactly what I was referring to in the last episode. There are a few things in my life that I really enjoy researching and experiencing. Cars, food, and watches. There are examples everywhere of technical left-brained ability and creative right-brained ability coming together to create something really beautiful. But my experience of that beauty is really heightened by these three things. I think the Porsche 911 is the most beautiful car ever created. The silhouette design and engineering are perfectly integrated and unmatched in my opinion. When I traveled for work, I was introduced to the experience of great food in different parts of the country. From Philly, to LA, to New York, to Charlotte, to San Antonio. There are so many places where I've had great meals. And the dishes that I remember the most require a balance of creative and technical ability to pull off. Despite my love affair with cars and food, this story is about watches. I first really became aware of high-end timepieces when I became a consultant. I noticed that several of my colleagues who joined the consulting firm I worked for from top 20 MBA programs all wore really nice watches such as Rolexes, IWCs, or even a Patek Philippe here or there. And maybe it wasn't everybody, but that's how I remembered it. In many cases, these individuals came from very different backgrounds than me. Some very affluent, others solid upper middle class. My point is, from the vantage of my own experience, I personally felt like I was trying to move up in order to obtain a certain level of success, to feel like I was an equal, if you will. I realize now that I was laser focused on symbols of success and how that impacted people's perception of me. And whether I wanted to admit it or not, my perception of me. So food doesn't really fit the connection that I'm trying to make, but cars and watches have been important symbols of success to me. In December of 2011, I took a week off and took a trip to Hawaii. An old friend and work colleague from Arizona met me there. And because of all of my airline miles and hotel points accumulated from my consulting travels, the trip was essentially free, minus food and drinks. I purchased a Rolex date just during that trip. At the time, my understanding and belief was that people with money wore Rolexes. They were expensive watches. And that belief was reinforced by my consulting colleagues because we were all pretty well compensated. And to be clear, my perception of my colleagues reinforced this underlying belief. No one ever outright told me that purchasing an expensive watch was a rite of passage or anything like that. It was just one of those things that I continuously saw in my line of work. At the time, I was so excited about my purchase. Don't get me wrong, it was a beautiful watch. But I was more excited about how it made me feel and what people's reactions or responses were. The day that I made the purchase, my friend and I went out for drinks at a lounge in Hawaii later that night. And one of the first experiences I had while wearing the watch was a young lady complimenting me on it. 
when I went back to work, several of the consultants on my project also commented on my new timepiece. Mission accomplished. I was having an experience that felt so validating on many levels, and I personally felt successful as a result of all the reinforcement. Now, let's fast forward closer to present day. The luxury watch market is absolutely crazy right now. Certain watches, like particular Rolex models, are in high demand and have been for the past several years. I'll give you an example of what I mean. A stainless steel Rolex Daytona is what I would call my grail watch. Collectors use the term to describe the ultimate collection piece. The watch sells on the gray market for close to 250% of the retail price. I can't afford to pay that much for a watch and I'm not willing to pay significantly above retail for it. Demand for these watches is clearly high. However, Rolex doesn't allow its authorized dealers to sell their brand new watches for more than the manufacturer's suggested retail price. From what I understand, most watch manufacturers have similar agreements. So what you have are other retailers and individuals who are finding ways to purchase these watches as investments, and they sell them at a profit as values continue to increase. As a result, the system is really shifted. Authorized dealers have these lists of what you might call VIP customers. It could be customers who have spent a lot of money and or have long-standing relationships with the dealer. When these hard-to-get watches come in, instead of putting them in the display case for the general public, the authorized dealer may go through their list of top clients to see if they have an interest in purchasing the watch. Okay, so if you want to move up the list, you have to spend more money and or deepen your relationship with an authorized dealer, which usually means spending more money. Now, with my personal history of watches as a symbol of success and some context of the luxury watch market, let's focus on how the last episode of Holding On To Stuff relates. When I left corporate America for the first time in 2015, I had a huge awakening around how I thought I could help others deal with their own adversity. The experience of my daughter's abduction and all the parts of me that I was evaluating really shifted many of my core beliefs. I'll share another episode that dives into how my relationship with money changed at the time. For the sake of this episode, Just understand that during this time in my life, it became clear to me how important these symbols were in my feeling successful. Things like the positions I held, how much money I made, the type of car I drove, and the brand of clothes or watches that I wore all mattered to me immensely. The underlying reason I worked so hard and purchased the things I did was to project this aura of success. The aha moment for me was when I realized that my projection of success was not about how others perceived me. It was about how I perceived me. In a nutshell, I didn't feel good about who I was. Otherwise, why would I be so focused on being perceived as successful? From 2015 until this year, I've made tremendous strides in being clearer on who I am becoming and releasing my attachment to things that I purchased for the sake of my own self-validation. I thought I had released all of this until recently. A friend of mine works for a jewelry store who sells Rolexes and some other high-end brand watches. I've known this friend for almost 30 years. And over the past 10 years, I bought one watch and a diamond ring from him. I've also referred a half a dozen or so customers to him who have spent a pretty significant amount of money over the years. Last year, I was in the market for a watch and my friend was able to get me a pretty tough to come by Rolex. And he was also able to get one for my cousin. Big win, right? For my cousin, yes. 
He loves this watch to this day and hopes to pass it down to his son. For me, after eight months of ownership, I sold the watch for about what I paid for it. It was a beautiful timepiece, but I just never felt very connected to it. The watch that I really wanted was the Rolex Daytona. Its level of symmetry, color contrast with its white dial and black ceramic bezel, and history made it one of the most beautiful watches I've ever seen. Now I've been on the quote-unquote list for this particular jeweler waiting for a Daytona for about four or five years now. My friend has been pretty clear that there are many other customers ahead of me. So the possibility of me getting one from them anytime soon is pretty low. The market demand makes it even more difficult because now you have customers spending more money in order to move up the list to have the right to purchase the more difficult to find timepieces. The jeweler that my friend works for has an annual sale that usually leads to good deals. In fact, they guarantee their lowest price of the year. I reached out to my friend and mentioned a Cartier watch that really caught my eye. It's very different from the Rolex, but it's beautiful in its own right. After agreeing to make the purchase, out of nowhere, I started to experience an internal struggle about purchasing the watch. For several consecutive days, when I woke up in the morning, the watch seemed to be front and center in the top of my mind. And I tend to pay attention to that transition time of being asleep and awake. Many of the things that are in my heart and require my attention show up at this time. So I sat with these thoughts and images. I meditated on them. I tried tapping into my intentions. I asked myself questions like, why do I want this watch? What experiences will it create for me? The big question was, how often will you wear it? And I immediately thought about the watch I purchased last year and sold after only eight months. I knew I wasn't going to wear the Cartier, but why did I want it? I showed myself last year that I'm willing to let go of physical possessions that no longer serve me. Hell, I sold a watch after only eight months of ownership. When I moved back to Philadelphia in 2021, I gave away almost all of my stuff. So if purchasing the watch wasn't about the physical possession, was there something else? After another day of meditating and allowing the question of why to continue percolating, I finally got an answer. This was all about me being worthy. I was willing to purchase an alternate timepiece to demonstrate to my friend and the jeweler that I was worthy to be given the opportunity to purchase the watch that I truly want, the Rolex Daytona. However, making that purchase won't serve me at all because I'm not going to wear the Cartier. Yes, it's beautiful, but it's not what I truly desire to experience. So after a few days, I moved from confusion to clarity. I reached out to my friend and explained that I accept that I might not be able to experience the Daytona based on his store's list criteria, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't mean that the watch won't magically show up. Even if it doesn't show up, it doesn't truly matter. I'm worthy. I don't need a watch or anything to prove to myself that that is true. I thought this was something that I'd understood deeply and released about five years ago. Back then, it was a boulder. It created so much suffering as I felt trapped in the rat race to perform at a high level all the time in order to keep up. This experience was probably a pebble, maybe even sand. Beyond a few days of confusion, I didn't feel much resistance or distress. In truth, I could one day purchase the Daytona and find out that it's not the experience that I want. All I know is that it's an experience that I'm seeking in this moment. In the future, that may change, and there could be another lesson there for me to look at. 
When I had this moment of awareness, I had all these memories about when I've done something that I didn't want to do just to prove that I was worthy of something else. And I started thinking about how often that happens in our everyday lives. We give up a part of what we truly want as a compromise to eventually get a little closer to where we'd like to be. I saw that a lot in my career. I was always taught to work hard and the rewards would come. Sure, I achieved new positions and made more money. I gave up relationships and experiences in my personal life for the sake of advancing my career. But in the end, I was never any happier, at least not in the long term. What I've learned through this experience is that I've always been worthy. You have always been worthy. The simple idea of sacrifice is one of unworthiness. For me, it's an old way of thinking. It's a limited way of thinking. Part of moving towards this perspective is also being willing to let go of our own attachments. I found comfort that the Daytona may not be a part of my experience. There is peace in knowing that my joy doesn't come from anything outside of me. Hmm. Next time, let's talk about our attachments and how they impact the way we navigate the world. The big lesson in this moment is around my and your level of worthiness. How does that show up in your experiences? Where do you believe you're holding back? These are a few questions to think about. Remember, you are worthy all the time, just like you're authentic all the time. You don't have to sacrifice or give up anything to get what you want. The minute you cut off your deepest desires, you move into a space of feeling less authentic. As you reduce the feeling of limitations, you increase your authenticity and begin opening up to a new world of possibilities. You're worthy of it all. I encourage you to sit and think about that. I hope you enjoy the episode. Until next time, I am, I am, I am, I am.